Welcome to the St. Louis Young Adults Bible Study Fellowship Podcast. Today, our teaching leader, Vicki Tatko, will be discussing Noah and the Flood in Genesis chapters 5 through 7. St. Louis Young Adults Bible Study Fellowship, or BSF, is currently meeting virtually on Zoom every Monday from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Central Time. For more information and to connect with our class, visit bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. That's bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. Now let's prepare our hearts, open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 5, and join Vicki as she shares truths from God's Word. Hello and welcome to St. Louis Bible Study Fellowship. We are going to enjoy Genesis 5 through 7 tonight. My name is Vicki. I'm one of the teaching staff, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to be in this passage with you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for drawing us into your word. Thank you for the space that you invite us in to uh, hear things that are true but hard, hard but true, and let us wrestle with um, realities that maybe we would prefer um, would just be more palatable. Lord Father, would you be with us as we uh, encounter hard truth in this passage and um, guide us so that we don't run from you, but we run toward you. And so, Lord, we ask, um, we can only do that when your Spirit is working and drawing us to yourself. So we pray for his active work in our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would... um, through your spirit, guide me to say only what is true and honoring to the Lord Jesus. And we pray that uh, our lives uh, would look different because of what you have done um, and how you have pursued us in Christ Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. So, A few summers ago, I joined my uncle and some cousins in a friendly, read, ultra-competitive, a lot of smack-talking, way too hyped up uh, basketball game. I have played basketball in my life. I played in high school. I was not particularly good, um, but I had weak ball handling skills, but I could play defense and It seemed sort of nostalgic. I was like, oh, how good can everybody else be? They want me on their team. Okay. So um, we were were at a – we met on like a blacktop um, in the evening and just with, you know, in a park kind of place and went. We matched – we divided up into teams and sort of found someone. I I found my, you know, my cousin like, okay, I'm going to defend her. And – we uh the game started and i'm you know i'm feeling excited um i'm trying to remember it has been decades since i've played basketball and trying to think about like okay what do i do with my body and where do i go and how do i uh, get set up for a rebound and um and so it's in the first possession and the other team had you know got the jump ball and they're coming down the court and i'm defending and within that first 30 seconds All of a sudden, I find myself smack on the pavement, skidding like two or three feet um, on my knee, on my elbow, 
and um, you know, of course, play stops, and people are like, oh, Vicky, are you okay? What's going? Um, and I just I felt so embarrassed. Um, I'm pretty sure I tripped over my own feet, and that's super embarrassing. And my pride was hurt uh, because you know I'm like, okay, I've played basketball before. Well, it didn't look like it, and um, I just wanted to jump up and ignore it and pretend that nothing had you know nothing was wrong it's like all right let's go um you know i'm ready and back back into playing okay i'm looking at you know people's faces and the blood running down my leg i'm probably like no this is not okay uh, my husband brett and the sidelines uh who has a background in the medical field was like no vicky this you need to come out you cannot be playing in this game with that injury Um, there's dirt there's rocks look there's rocks right there in your wound and you need to get that cleaned up so you won't get an infection Um, I was grumpy about it uh, but Brett persuaded me and he you know he was right uh, that I um, he cleaned it out he bandaged it up Um, I was too easily willing to just brush something off and say no it's not a problem Um, but Brett loves me and he wanted me to be healthy and he wasn't okay with a little bit of sin I'm sorry a little bit of dirt a little bit of brokenness a little bit of rocks in my uh, my cut and in a similar way as I just gave you a little preview like we've seen God put love and effort into our world in Genesis 1 and 2 he made creation very good he made us as humanity in our in his image that we would be his agents throughout this world multiplying being fruitful receiving his blessing and reflecting his glory um, to around the whole to each other around the whole world and so the god who loves us and puts so much care into genesis uh, into our world through genesis 1 and 2 we can see right away we had a problem in humanity. We weren't okay with God's good kingship or his good rule, and we wanted to live our own way. And we saw our great-great-great-great-great-great-grandma Eve um, make that decision and Adam go along with it. And so um, the consequences of sin and damage that have come into our world have been are so profound um, it's probably hard for us. We we probably can't understand it because, um, like me in the basketball court, um, we just sort of want to get on and pretend like things didn't happen, make the best of it. And okay, there's coronavirus, and okay, there's um, there's lots of things that are going on in this world that are hard, and um, the uh, a ter- very turbulent election season and. Um, there's shootings and um, wildfires and violence that's going on. Um, there's death of just even like I had a dear friend who passed away um, in hospice. She was she was old, but she died, and I'm grieving the loss of her. And um, that is not to mention all the problems that we have just inside of us, and like our head and our heart and our. Our, um, even in our bodies, the corruption, um, getting older, that 
we are often, I think, I suggest to you too easily um, okay with a little bit of sin, a little bit of corruption, a little bit of brokenness, um, status quo, it's fine. Um, And yet God is not. And I think that's one of the chief messages that we can learn from Genesis 5 through 7 is that God is not okay with anything marring the goodness of this world which should reflect his glory and be filled with his glory and so when he when we rebelled against his good authority and all that sin and death and brokenness came in god promised right away in genesis 3:15 that he would work through a promised offspring to crush the head of the serpent and as he revealed over history, over the, the Old Testament, um, th- this would come in a person. And he would be righteous. He would be pierced for our transgressions. And so he is, um, God could have thrown his creation away when we just like, you know, he started up and we like, we went down the toilet. And yet he didn't. He got even more involved. And so with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, he paid the price for our world to be fully restored. And he is not going to be satisfied with anything less um, than complete restoration. What the Lord intended in creation, he is going to do through redemption. And so we can see his commitment to that plan in Genesis 5 through 7. And we're going to see how it comes about um, that he will come to judge the world and cleanse it from sin and rebellion. And he will, at the same time, deliver a faithful remnant. And he will do both things in an extreme way. Um, He will judge catastrophically, and he will deliver spectacularly and gloriously. Um. That's a, what I think we can learn is that God, though we tend to be okay with some levels of brokenness, um, God will judge. He will deal with all the fractures, all the guilt in his world. He will deal according to what he knows is right. And because that is so certain, you and I must respond. Um, so as we go into this, God's judgment is a sobering subject. And so um, there's... The descriptions in Genesis 5 through 9, there are lots of things to be interested about. Um, who are the Nephilim? Is the, was the flood local? Was it global? Um, and those are interesting details. So I encourage you to you know, study, read your notes about those. I won't have time to go through all, the, uh, all those details. Um, and yet, the purpose of this story is not to satis- not a puzzle for our minds to kind of unpack and decipher Um, but rather to teach us about God's coming final judgment on sin so that we respond wisely, Um, that this urgent reality must mold us down to our very core and must motivate us to live before God, to walk with Him, and to be willing participants in His kingdom restoration work. So this truth, because there are things in us that don't like that kind of God sometimes who would be like that. Um, We must be, uh, we can expect that our hearts, there's something in our hearts that will 
um, some parts of the story are going to push on and it will feel uncomfortable. But this truth must shatter us in the right places. We must wrestle with our perceptions of God's character. Eve began the spiral of sin and death by doubting God's goodness. And so you and I must face our tendency that we've inherited in our sinful um, condition through Adam and Eve to he- to misjudge God's character and to wish he were different than what, what he is and to hear him wrongly. Because the message of God's judgment is not, you're horrible and I hate you. The message of God's judgment is, I'm committed to you and I love you enough to correct you. I love you enough to warn you. I love you enough to plead with you to turn toward me, turn toward my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only refuge from sin and death. Um, And so this story that we're coming to, Noah's Ark, um, which is many people think of it as a children's story, it is a story for everyone. Um, And because God wants to be known as he is, not as we wish he would be, and God wants us to know that this judgment that he did early on in Genesis, this is only a shadow of the final judgment that is still future to us um, that will come when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to set all things right, Um, that the presence of sin and death and brokenness will no longer be anywhere in God's good creation. Um, And so that's where we're going Um, That's the purpose of the story. So let's get into that. We're going to be looking at Genesis 5 through 7. And um, we're going to look at it in two sections. Um, uh, The first section is uh, generation amidst degeneration. So that's um, the generations of Adam, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, going up to uh, chapter 6, verse 8. Um, And that answers what happens to Adam's line. Um, And then the second part is going to open the section of what happened to Noah's line. And so it will be the generations of Noah. It's going to be preservation amidst destruction. And so that's, we're going to be, we are only going to go through chapter seven uh, tonight, but it goes through the end of chapter nine. Um, So we will be looking to continue this story. So let's get on to our first first division, um, starting in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Chapter 5, as you can probably see in your Bible, is a genealogy. And um, as Westerners, 21st century Westerners, maybe that's hard for us to read. Um, It doesn't sound very interesting, and yet... I suggest to you the biblical authors, they record a lot of genealogical details, and Genesis is going to show us a lot. And I suggest to you that they did that because there's value. And as students of God's word, may you and I look at these passages and treat them um, with care, knowing that God has preserved them for us to hear um, for our benefit and instruction. And so um, this, it takes us back Uh, We are going back to Genesis 1. Look at this in verses 1 and 2. This is the book of the generations of Adam, or man, literally in Hebrew, man is is Adam. When God created man, or Adam, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. He blessed them and named them 
man or Adam when they were created. And so this this is a summary. What's the big takeaway from Genesis 1 and 2? There we go. Um, and yet, uh, we know Genesis 3 and 4 have already happened. So not uh, even though God created us in his image and he blessed us, we're going to see a pattern as we go now through Adam. Adam's going to have um, a son in his own image, in his own likeness, after his image, and uh, who he names Seth, uh, verse 3. And so this is the descent. This we're, we've d- we're done with Cain. Um, Cain has rejected the Lord's favor. Um, and so this is now the, the promised offspring of the woman is coming through the line of Seth. And so um, there's 10 generations that are starting with Adam as one. Noah goes down to, um, he's number 10. And this, there's different kind of genealogies. This is a vertical one. So we, we're following a one male line descendant all the way down, even though they tell us in the pattern that each each of the people, the fathers, had other sons and daughters. And so we can see this pattern that the the author has set up for us. There's living, there's fathering, um, there's having more sons and daughters and more living, and then there's a reckoning of the days, of total days of life, and then he died. And so there's the pattern. Pay attention to what are the patterns and the, the cadence there is he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. So we're going to see this, this mix of the things that God asked or, or intended for us to do. The multiplying um, image bearers, uh, even ruling with the fathering that's implied, that is happening. And yet there is what God said, the, uh, the wage of sin is death. Uh, if you eat of the tree of this fruit, you will surely die. And guess what? That has happened. Um, with these, even though there's long lifespans that are recorded, there's that. It's each of those lives ends in death. Except, so here's an exception. The seventh in line is Enoch. So Lamech, Cain's Lamech, was seventh from Adam. Enoch is seventh from Adam, and so his legacy. Um, and difference in the pattern, verse 22, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Wow, that sounds short, right, compared to the others that we've read. But wait, Enoch walked with God. So the emphasis is on the walking with God and suggests an intimate daily kind of um, relationship with the Lord uh, engaging with him, spending time with him, step by step, um, and this enigmatic, and then and he was not for God took him. Um, we learn uh, in Hebrews and in the book of Jude in the New Testament that um, what this means is that Enoch was taken away. He did not see death. He went. Um, he he did not see death because he went to live with God. So God's judgment on death is true, and yet there is redemption. There is, um, for those who walk with him, who trust in him, um, an afterlife, there is life. Um, so that's the first, that's this first glimmer of um, the break that God is allowing redemption. Then we see, most significantly, we get to the end, um, Lamech has a son, um, verse 28, and so we see this son 
the the narrative their narration is going to fan out from genealogy now we're going to focus on this generation of noah and so um he's he called his name noah uh we hear because uh quote out of the ground this is verse 29 that the lord has cursed this one meaning his son shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands and so that suggests here um life was life here was hard um, even though we don't see it emphasized in that genealogy, um, death is the end of life, and things are not easy. And so, um, but it it shows um, that Lamech is showing grief at the curse, but also hope that God is going to bring comfort um, and hope in God's that God, what he said in Genesis 3.15, that that is actually going to happen. God's defeat of the evil serpent is going to come through the offspring of the woman. And so that's, uh, I think, the significance of that name. And so we go on. From that point, um, we hear that end of the, all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And then 32, after Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so, at that point, we're still in this genealogy. We haven't breaked to broke into a new section, and yet um, the narrator takes us out. Uh, we have been going down vertically, and now we start to go horizontally. Um, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them. So we're back now, Genesis. We had started with Genesis 1 and 2, and now we're in Genesis 3 and going into 4. The Again, just remember, you know, hearkening back to those threads. The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Um, okay, so who are those uh, people? And it talks about their children, the Nephilim in verse 4. Um, this is enigmatic. Go read your notes on this. They um, have some different possibilities of who these people are. Here's what I want us to see. While they are multiplying, and that's good, remember, we're supposed to multiply according to Genesis um, one twenty-eight. What they're multiplying, they're doing it in a way that is choosing for themselves what is good. They are following the pattern of Eve. Remember, Eve in three, Genesis 3, 6, she saw and she took. And so this is what the same language, they saw and they took any that they chose. And that's the emphasis. When you and I choose, we are asserting our right over God. Who is the authority of our life? That's the question. For us. <laughs> who is the authority? Who gets to choose? Who gets to choose where you live? Who gets to choose whether you're married or whether you're not married? Who gets to choose uh, what church you go to? Who gets to choose what you believe? Who gets to choose that? That's the question. It pushes the key of, I mean, the core of sin is the issue of authority. Who gets to choose God's good authority is worth submitting to, and yet we just have a hard time doing that. Um, we see it as restriction. And so we see, however, in these, there's two parallel accounts here, by the way. And so 6 1 and 2, and then 6 5 and 6 um, go together. There's two parallel assessments, and then the Lord uh, speaks 
in, he intervenes in verses 3 and verses 7. Um, and then there's offspring that are compared in verses 4 and verses 8. And so, um, two things I just want us to note before we move on is that um, even though verse 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, was multiplied, that, that's Rob, that same word in Hebrew, and every intention of his thoughts of the hearts was only evil all the time or continually, so that's the problem. Like, the sin just wasn't on the outside, who you marry or, you know, it was on the inside, our hearts are evil. Um, the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. And so, um, our rebellion hurts God, and yet know that he does not walk away. Um, his commitment to cleaning up the mess that we have in this world and restoring creation causes him pain. And it points forward, ultimately, to the biggest expression that we have of that is Jesus Christ's willingness to go to the cross and suffer on our behalf. Jesus did not commit a single sin in his whole life, and yet he went to the cross and bore on himself the weight of the sins of the world, all who would, you, all who would believe in him. Um, God does not delight in sin's judgment, um, but he is also not willing to turn away from something that needs doing. And so um, he is now going to, um, he's sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So there's the hurt. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, the man and the animals and creeping things, birds of the earth, for I'm sorry I've made them. So he's wiping them, blotting them like you wipe a plate and not just humanity for our guilt, but because we are the head of creation as God created us, all the animals, all the, the earth suffer when they follow us. As we go, so too to elephants and dogs and cats and seagulls and river trout and monarch butterflies. That's They follow what we set for them. Um, and so the, the second thing I want us to notice just quickly before we move on, because it, it sets up the next section, is there's two lines that are divergent um, in these parallel historical uh, interrupting accounts. Um, there's the Nephilim, verse 4, were on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children of them. Okay, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. And that is comparison to um, verse 8. We see the line of Seth, down through this one vertical line, which we are going to find out. It's really narrow at this bottom. Um, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so um, these are two kinds of children that um, humanity has had. And the Nephilim might seem great. They're, you know, strong and heroic, the stuff of mythology. And yet it is Noah who found favor with the Lord or grace with the Lord um, Noah, who, like Jesus, his supreme descendant, um, he did not have any majesty or beauty that to attract us to him or that we would esteem him. So we come to the end of this section. It's called the toldot. It means generations in Hebrew. Uh, and we can ask, okay, what happened to Adam? What happened to man? Um, and we've seen this, three things. Sin's consequence was born out. He died, he died, he died, he died. Um, sin grew. And so God will blot out mankind. And yet, we see 
God makes a gracious provision for his remnant that includes favor and life. And so that's setting up our next section. Principle I think we can learn is that God does not turn a blind eye. God does not turn a blind eye. God is patient in carrying out justice, but he's not going to overlook sin. Um, No one is exempt from sin and its consequences. God will intervene. Um, Maybe you have some time in your life, um, I know I do, I'm sure, (laughs) where you are doing something and you're just hoping that, you know, your boss, your your parents, your neighbor, your the the police, whoever, just they're just gonna overlook it. Um, and uh, there's grace and there's overlooking, and there's a difference. And so, similarly, um, God uh, does show grace, so He's patient, but He does not, He cannot, because of His holy character, overlook sin and transgressions. We are tempted to interpret God's patience as his indifference. Um, God does not turn a blind eye. I know as a, um, when I have been, uh, I have been a, uh, a teacher sometimes of uh, school children and um, classroom management is not my strength. And that's because I'm, uh, I, I don't know that line between like showing grace and overlooking things. Because if you overlook things, the classroom gets very quickly out of control and no one can learn anything. Um, and yet, uh, we can know that God does not turn a blind eye um, to the unique ways that you and I have set our own course and put our own interests over God's good authority. How have you done that? Um, do you think that God doesn't see or doesn't care? How do you think God reviews your rebellion and your sin? Do you agree with Him? It is a great mistake to misjudge God's view of sin. Many people do. Oh, God won't care. I don't believe that a God would ever make anyone um, go to hell or suffer. God wants me to be happy. I'm a good person. And yet, the Bible reveals God is not who we want Him to be. He is who He is. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a relative or a roommate or a coworker, and you just wish that they were different. Like, maybe I wish that he would just be a little more quiet, or I wish that he would be a little more timely, or I wish that, I wish, I wish, I wish. Does wishing ever make it so? Dear friends, God is as he reveals himself to be, and your and my wishing, other people's wishing, doesn't make it different, doesn't make him different. Um, A mark of a sinner saved by grace is someone who agrees with God's judgment of their sin and knows that sin must have death. And because we are saved by grace in Christ, we can acknowledge Jesus Christ stood in my place. He took the death that I deserved. When you and I do not grasp the gravity of sin or we forget it, then we don't seek the refuge with God that we need, nor do we live in gratitude in the way that our hearts um, desperately need. And so, um, this is also good news for those of us um, who have been hurt by others' disregard for God's authority. Um, there are many ways that this happens. Um, we see that especially with poor and minorities, vulnerable people um, who can be taken advantage of. And this is good news because God will not overlook what would it be like to live in a world where evil people could get away with something and never have any kind of accountability? Um, God 
will not overlook. He will not turn a blind eye um, to sin and guilt. And even though this is hard news, it is good news. The certainty of God's judgment compels us to respond that we might turn to him, that we might trust him with our whole lives. Okay, let's look at this next section um, very quickly. Um, it's going to be 6, 9 to the end of chapter 7. We have great preservation and great destruction. This is, we can say, uh, it starts with, the, these are the generations of Noah. Um, what happened with Noah? Uh, let's, there was great preservation, and that comes first because the narrative focuses on the preservation. We get to see Noah up close. But there is also great destruction. They are simultaneous, and you cannot separate the two. And so we see those two poles drawn. Um, we see in the pattern of Enoch, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Japheth. Um, and then the other side, so there, there's just one tiny minority of, of people of one person who is willing to follow God and trust in him and hear his voice and obey him um, and live under God's good authority. And the rest of the earth, sadly, at that time, um, God was the earth was corrupt in God's sight and filled with violence rather than being filled with the, the glory of God. And so um, this is a contrast, and God is not okay with that. God is not okay with his good creation being filled with wickedness and violence and evil. And so God intervenes and he responds by speaking to Noah. He brings Noah into his confidence because that's part of us walking with God. He allows us to know his heart and his plans. And so this was... um these were hard words, I imagine, to hear because part of the people being condemned were Noah's own family, right? His brothers and sisters that he had, Lamech's children, um, they were not on that boat um, unless his wife was his sister. I don't know about that. So anyway, um, and so he gives instructions. Um, the Lord gives instructions, uh, verses uh, 13 to 22. And um, this is God's grace, and he's involving Noah in an intimate way. And just as Adam was charged with building or tending a garden, Noah is charged with building an ark, because God lets us participate in his kingdom restoration work. That is a principle that you and I need to hold on to. We are not just saved. Those of us who have trusted Jesus, we are not just saved for, oh, sometime we can go and be with Jesus in heaven and we get to live our life however we want to live now. No, God calls us to be his ambassadors and involve us in his kingdom restoration work. How has he called you to be involved in his kingdom restoration work? In your workplace, in your church, in your neighborhood, in your family? Um, will you cooperate with him? It is hard work. And it is a time of, it is a space of testing. We see that in 622, um, even though the narrator kind of tell us, told us all the things that Noah did, that he swung the hammer and he had questions about how to put these two beams together and he took those to the Lord and he prayed and Shem didn't want to cooperate and how did he navigate that? Like, those are all things that probably went on and we're not wrong to want to know more about that. But the narrator, the narrator, Moses, is telling us about Noah's obedience. Verse 22, Noah did this. He did all that the Lord, at God commanded him. Um, 
And so, um, because he is, uh, we can see in the author of Hebrews, Hebrews eleven seven, uh, interprets that for us. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, okay, so we've just heard about that through uh, those words, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. And by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Um, and so we also see that um, part of that is believing God's promise to establish a covenant with with Noah um, in verse 18, a covenant, which is this is the first time covenant appears, the first time it appears in Genesis in the Bible. Um, a covenant is a, and we'll learn more about that, uh, I think next week, is a covenant is a is a commitment between two personal parties and it is way more personal than a contract and way more enduring and lasting than any other kind of human relationship this is a covenant and it's not just with him it's also with the animals and so god um, is covenanting with uh, noah and also charging noah with um, preserving a remnant of uh, the animals, so two of every kind, and seven actually of we learn later, seven of the clean animals that could be sacrificed because God knows that worship is going to be of something that Noah's going to need um, at the end. Uh, we will see that in um, chapter nine, I think, uh, or chapter yeah, chapter end of chapter eight, I guess, verse twenty. And so um, God provides everything that we need for life and worship, and so. Um, we can see God comes after the ark is completed in 7, uh, verses 1 to 4, and says, it's time, get in the ark. Um, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, God doesn't always give us all the information that we need to know right up front, right? He gives us enough for us to work faithfully and live faithfully in the moment and lets us trust Him, allows us to develop that by His grace, trust in Him. And then uh, verse 5, we can see Noah again prevailed uh, by God's grace. Um, he His life is characterized by faithfulness, by believing God and obeying Him. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Now, that didn't mean that Noah wasn't sinful, right? Because he was he was in the line of Adam, and he inherited Adam's sinful image. And yet, the, the stamp of his life, the ending, like, the commendation of his life is on his faithfulness. And that prefigures for us the kind of judgment that believe that the Bible tells us that the believers will have. We will have judgment, but it won't be a punitive judgment like those who reject God utterly and they suffer for their sins, but those of us who trust in Him and our sins are paid for by Christ on the cross, that um, He, uh, He, by His grace, lets... Um, our lives be characterized by obedience and cooperation, and we get to have his commendation, well done, faithful servant. Um, that is uh, that is his grace that we do not deserve, and Noah did not deserve that either. Um, so we can see that um, just as God's word said, so it did happen. Um, verses 10 through 12, the flood waters came on, um, and... Just as God said, Noah and his family and all the animals, it seems like God supernaturally brought them. That's hinted at verse 9 and 15. Um, they, got on the, they got on, and then, um, then 
everything broke loose, and this is a cataclysmic judgment. Um, and so uh, water is a very destructive force. And in the Bible, the sea often symbolizes death and chaos. Remember Genesis 1-2? This here we are returning to that disordered state. Who has power over that? What a God this must we must have. Um, and yet, that chaos could not get in. It wasn't just that Noah, you know, oh my goodness, I have to put some more pitch on here, or it's leaking. And then maybe that did happen, I don't know. But we are just, the word we're left with is verse 16, and the Lord shut him in. And so, um, it was God's intent to preserve a righteous remnant, a faithful remnant, and that is exactly what he did. Um, so, I feel like... Uh, we get to the end of this section in chapter 7, we're left with um, water covering the whole world, and the, every land animal has perished, except for that that has been preserved in the ark. And so we see these two poles and these two extremes. And so um, a principle I think that we can learn is that God keeps his word. God keeps his word. Um, he says he will judge sin and rebellion, and the flood testifies that he will. He says that he will he will preserve a remnant. He will be a refuge for all who turn to him in Christ. And this flood account attests that he will. Um, God keeps his word. It reminded me of um, Lucy. And I know this is sort of dating myself, but I, I grew up reading my uncle's Lucy or Peanuts cartoons. And there's this gag that Lucy, one character, um, would always hold a football like on end and invite the main character, Charlie Brown, to come and kick the football and um, to make a running start and then swing out and kick the football. And every time she would promise, oh, I will not, you know, I won't pull away the football. I won't pull away the football. I won't pull away the football. And she always at the last minute, we see her reneging on that. And she just can't resist, I, I guess. Like, Charlie Brown comes running, and then she pulls it away, and he says, ah! And there's a whump as he falls down, and there's usually some sort of punchline that happens. Um, but how sad that um, Charlie Brown keeps trusting her. I'm always mad at that. Like, what? Charlie Brown, why would you trust her? Um, and yet, you and I are jaded because we have experienced that people have broken our promises to us, and yet inevitably we trust wrong people. We trust wrong voices again and again. How can we discern trustworthy voices? Um, Lucy is characterized by deception. She will deceive, and yet in the completely opposite way, God, the God of the Bible, is characterized by truth. Um, and sometimes, like Eve, we think that God is lying. He's forgotten that what he said, he didn't mean, it wasn't important. Um, faith means believing that God exists and believing that his word is powerful and true. And so, even in recognizing, though we may be tempted to discount sometimes, that God doesn't lie. And so, just as God invited Noah and his family into the ark, God invites us into his refuge to escape judgment. Um, his pro he promises that judgment is coming, our refuge is secure, um, that he will shut us in. This is not, um, this is not a Lucy Van, Lucy Van Pelt. He's going to promise it and then take it away. This is one that's, that's set on his character and upon thousands and thousands and thousands of years of a perfect 
character track record that God has. Um, judgment is coming. There is a future day of judgment that will make the flood pale in comparison. And yet, um, that great day of judgment also came as the great day of judgment that fell on Jesus on the cross, where on the cross, Jesus Christ suffered on our behalf. Even though he was sinless, he bore sinful humanity and he made a place, he made a way um, to satisfy the holiness of God and lovingly invite us to take full refuge in him. Have you done that? Have you entered into Jesus Christ's righteousness? Have you believed that he stood in your place? Have you believed that all your sin was heaped on him? Um, Have you believed that he bore God's wrath for you on your behalf? Um, As Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God is just. He will never punish the same sin twice. And he, if he has punished Jesus for your sin, because you have placed your trust in Jesus as your Savior, you will not be punished for that sin. Are you haunted by past sins? Um, if you think of when it's, when it's nighttime and you think about the things um, that just come back to you and bring you shame, um, if you have trusted in Jesus, you... And I are invited by God, told by God, to come, to confess our sins, to repent from them, and believe, walk away, and believe that Jesus, not walk away from God, but get up and keep living our life and walking, knowing that Jesus bore those sins, that you and I carry them no more. And not only the guilt, but also the shame. Um, And so, God, just as, and we should remember that just as one ark rose above the floodwaters of death, God provides only one refuge. There wasn't, you know, another boat here or a lifeboat there that made it. It just wasn't the case. And there is one way that God has provided for us as rebellious sinners to be restored to Him, and that is in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. He says, I am the truth the life and the way. There is none who come to the Father but through me, um, through Jesus. And so, um, there are other storms of life, and Jesus is not only our spiritual refuge from eternal judgment, He is our refuge always. He invites us to hide to Him, hide in Him. Is your life full of storms and chaos? Has COVID tossed and turned you? The political season, the craziness of our world, Will you come to him and trust him to carry you safely through these seas? And will you believe his word that he is committed to full restoration and cooperate fully to um, with his kingdom work? Will you extend this amazing good, good news of God's grace to other people? Let's pray. Father, thank you for how you pursue us and you love us, your provision. Um, thank you for revealing your perfect character, that you are perfectly just and perfectly merciful, that you have, um, that you are perfectly holy, and yet you also are full of grace and compassion to all who take refuge, um, turn from sin, and come to you in Christ Jesus. Lord, would you help us to believe those truths about you and to live knowing that live knowing that they are true and live differently may we walk with you day by day and i pray for everyone 
who's in the sound of my voice, that you would, by your spirit, um, be continuing to work your purposes in them. And um, we pray all this for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the St. Louis Young Adults BSF podcast. Join us on Zoom next Monday at 7 p.m. Central Time as we discuss Genesis chapters 8 and 9. To connect with our class, like us on Facebook at STLYABSF or visit bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. Bible Study Fellowship is an international interdenominational nonprofit organization that is dedicated to studying God's Word one verse at a time and strengthening the local church. For more information, visit bsfinternational.org. That's bsfinternational.org.